Thank you, Johnny. Well, I think it might be a British thing where some of us can struggle to show our emotions, to show how we feel for other people, especially if they're positive emotions. We often show someone we love them or care for them by teasing them. If we mock you, it can actually mean that we like you and we accept you and you're one of us. We call it banter. And whether you love or hate participating in or receiving banter, it's certainly part of British culture. And so those out with our culture can find it very confusing how these words that sound very derogatory can actually be a sign of our love and affection for others. It leaves us ambiguous. Well, there's no ambiguity here in Mark. In anointing Jesus with oil, this woman goes all out in a display of love and affection, which can feel really uncomfortable and even offend our Western sensibilities. To set some context, the oil that's been used was very fragrant. The smell would have been overpowering. It's also very expensive. It says that the jar was worth a year's salary. This is more than your average display of affection we're seeing. I thought it would be helpful to have a look at the actions and reactions of three of the other characters we come across in this story alongside Jesus. They are the good, the bad, and the lovely. You see what I've done there. So the good, I'm referring to Jesus's disciples. The bad, I'm referring to the chief priests. And the lovely is this woman herself. We'll start with the bad because we encounter them first of all. These are the chief priests and Mark here uses a sandwiching technique where on either side of the story he places a real contrast to highlight this woman's example. She's placed in between chief priests who are trying to kill Jesus, that's in verse 1, and then on the other side of the story in verse 10 we see Judas who's planning to betray Jesus for money. Now, these characters, a chief priest and disciple, they are men in a patriarchal society who apparently hold trusted positions. And yet their actions show the heart of who they are. They're not only working against Jesus, they were doing that in secret. This woman, however, does nothing in secret. Her act of devotion is out there for anyone to see. But it's not that she's chosen some grand stage, it's an intimate gathering around a friend's a dinner table in a house. She's not looking for a crowd, but nor is she ashamed. There's a real freedom about her. She loves Jesus, she's moved to show that, and the only one she cares about is him. I hope I'm not alone, but as a child, I remember telling um, small untruths small lies. Um, we used to call them fibs because I think that seemed more acceptable. I'm talking about stealing a biscuit maybe or denying culpability for breaking an ornament, something like that. I remember though how it made me feel. It was so effortful. One lie led to another and another and I'd have to remember my cover story, where, when, who, as I tried to cover my tracks. It felt horrible and eventually I would forget and I would trap myself in my lies. 
Now, maybe we're not telling lies to plot against someone or even to steal an extra biscuit, but all of us at times try to cover up our tracks. There are bits of our lives that we are glad for people to see, but then others that we try to hide. We only have to look at social media to know that. One psychologist writes, they may be lies or often, but more often than not, they are a matter of putting up only part of the truth. Usually the healthiest, most attractive sides of our lives and selves. That's what we can see on social media. So when we do good things, who is it that we want to see them? Whose praise are we seeking? Are our motives to do good or to be seen to do good? Or we can flip that. When our behaviour is less than honourable, who are we hiding that from? Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. What is going on in the deep recesses of our hearts? The author and pastor Tim Keller writes this, The verdict is in, and now I perform on the basis of the verdict. Because he loves me and he accepts me, I do not have to do things to make me look good. This woman is performing on the basis of the verdict. She knows that Jesus loves her and this is her open-hearted response to that. Whereas the chief priests were so concerned that Jesus was making them look bad, they were plotting to kill him. While they were trapped in their deceit, she is free in her devotion. So moving on, the next people we see are those we said were good, and they are Jesus' disciples, his chosen guys. And they're just so relatable as they try to be responsible and do the right thing. But time and again, Jesus has to teach them. And a side note here, Jesus often holds up unlikely characters as examples of how to live, like women or others on the margins of society. So I mentioned this oil being the equivalent of one year's salary. And I wonder what figure comes to your head right now as I say that. And can we imagine smashing that and giving it away? And I'm not talking about giving it to a charitable foundation or investing it sensibly for our futures. In the disciples' eyes, she was literally pouring this money away. They think they're being good, but Jesus calls them out for being too cautious and judgmental. Look at their response in verse four and five. The disciples say, firstly, it's a waste, and secondly, that she could be giving that money to the poor. And I confess, I think my initial response is the same. It's a bit reckless, no? It was the custom to place a couple of droplets of oil on a guest's head if they were deemed to be someone really special. It was not the norm to smash the whole bottle. It was precious and it was used sparingly. And here we see there is nothing measured or cautious about what this woman does to pour the whole jar. Surely could, she could have shown Jesus that she loves him with just a few extra drops, even half the jar, but to smash it. So here the disciples are criticizing a woman for giving too much. And just two chapters ago, back in chapter 12, they were grumbling about a woman giving too little. This is the story um, of the widow offering at the temple. And Jesus commends her. He says to his disciples that the offering this woman gives is more than anybody else. 
So we see this widow who's very poor coming along to the temple and dropping just a couple of coins in the offering plate, the equivalent of just coppers. Now she was surrounded by wealthy people who were throwing vast quantities into the offering. And she comes along with almost an insulting couple of coins. And Jesus says, no, no, her offering is worth more than anybody else's because she was giving everything she had. Just like this woman in chapter 14. With Jesus, it's not so much about what or how much we have, but about what we do with it and how we view it. Jesus actually says in verse eight, she did what she could. These women are extravagant in their giving, which can be hard for us to rationalize. How will they eat? Shouldn't they be worried about their future security? But the point is that in their giving, they're worshiping. They've seen who God is and they know that he is worthy of everything they could offer. So back to our woman in chapter 14, she's not anointing just anyone with this oil. That would be wasteful. She's pouring out, this pouring out of costly oil foreshadows the costliness of the pouring out of Jesus's blood. She is anointing God's anointed one and she recognises that he is worthy of everything she has. Who would have thought a year ago just now that we would all have the privilege of enjoying a lockdown birthday? For my lockdown birthday, friends sent me one of these lovely boxes from a restaurant where you have all of the ingredients you need, you have some instructions and you have a little menu card. So you end up producing restaurant quality food in your own kitchen. It was such a treat, a beautiful gift. And the box arrived and I unpacked it slowly, looking at each of the little tubs of spices and pots of herbs. They really had thought of everything. I shared that meal with my husband, partly because nobody else is allowed in our house right now, but mostly because I wanted to share the joy of the gift with him. We took photos of the plated up food, each of the three courses, and sent them back to our friends who had given us such a wonderful gift. I wanted to show them how much I was loving their gift and that I was thankful. Have I told others about this gift? You bet I have. I was grateful and it brought joy and I wanted to bore all of my friends with the details of that joy. James 1 verse 17 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Everything is a gift from God, but do I live my life relishing what he's given? Creation, family, friends, material possessions, my health? Do we cautiously hold back enjoying and sharing what God has given or do we offer it back to him in worship? Maybe I have something to learn from the way I ripped into that food box and savoured it, enjoyed it, shared it, told others about it and sent something of the joy back to the giver. And then lastly, let's move on to look at this woman, the lovely. She smashes the jar, which could mean three things. Firstly, she's going all in. There's no going back. Once you've smashed the jar, the oil cannot go back inside it. 
Secondly though, smashing the jar was sometimes a sign of the oil being used for a very special person. As in, there would never be another person good enough to use this jar. So she's really acknowledging Jesus' worth. And thirdly, it suggests death. Smashing the jar was something that could be done in anointing bodies, with the remnants of the jar being buried with the body. Now, Jesus has already told his disciples at least three times that he will die. We see that in, in chapters 8, 9 and 10. And it's like the disciples can't hear. This woman, however, instinctively knows something and allows herself to follow her intuition. Jesus describes what this woman has done as a beautiful thing. The word kalos is used, meaning attractively good. Good that inspires others to embrace what is lovely. Good that inspires others to embrace what is lovely. Have we all met people like that? I hope we all have people in our lives who inspire us to embrace what is lovely. So what does our kalos look like? We've possibly said a big yes to Jesus at some point in our lives, but we might struggle to trust that he's really got things in hand. Perhaps we ask God to help with big decisions or try to lean on him in hard times. We might even be up for a big adventure with Jesus, depending on what it is. But do I trust that I can give him everything? do the callous, the beautiful things like this woman, and know that he is worth it? Do I worship God with the life that he has given me? That's a big question. Have I given my all to Jesus, or am I still trying to hang on to my life and control it somehow? You see, putting Jesus first changes everything. He'll transform our thinking, our priorities, the way we make decisions, he will lead us into doing the callous, the beautiful things like this woman. The theologian and author Tom Wright says this, Worship is a matter of gazing with delight, gratitude and love at the Creator God. Those who do this are formed to become generous, humble stewards through whom God's creative, sustaining love is let loose in the world. That's quite a vision. But you see, in worship, we're changed. Looking to Jesus will change us. On our own, we can strive to do all the good things, but our motives can be flawed because they can be all about us. Being liked, being acceptable, getting ahead. But as we turn our faces again and again to gaze at Jesus, to worship Jesus like this woman, to put him first, he will enable us to forget ourselves and forget those eyes that we seek approval from and just to focus on him. And he will enlarge our vision to see the poor and to have a heart for them, to want to serve. Putting him first really does change everything. So I wonder where we see ourselves in this story. Perhaps like the chief priests, we're working in secret to remove Jesus from our lives. The person we present in public is not aligned with the true state of our heart. But maybe in our striving, we're exhausted with trying to keep this image up. Or maybe like the disciples, we want to do good, but we just struggle to just 
trust Jesus fully. The disciples, they had listened to some things Jesus said, and certainly they made some sacrifices for him, but they held back. Their cautious attitude meant that they felt judgmental towards others. Or perhaps we've given our all to Jesus. Perhaps we've recognised him for who he is. I wonder if we're the kind of people who can trust the one who made us to provide for us. Are we the kind of people who inspire others to embrace what's lovely? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to ask you this morning to come and to change us. We want to worship you with all that you have given us. We want you to give us hearts that are open to you. Lord, that you would give us eyes to see the need around us and that you would give us servant hearts to respond to that need. So Lord, we ask that in the days ahead, you would hold us close and help us to keep turning, to look at you, to be able to do the callous and the beautiful things you require. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.